the Paul mentioned the passage that uh, I have, well, it was part of the series in, in Awesome God, and I think, I think uh, all of those who have been doing the series, um, Helen and Dan and, and Rick, uh, I think you've really appreciated it and really enjoyed what we've been, what we've been covering. Um, and so this is the final section, I suppose, whenever Elijah uh, goes to the eternal God, he, God takes him up in that whirlwind. But as we come to this section in 2 Kings 2, we enter a world that seems unreal. And maybe it seems unreal to our skeptical minds. We wonder about the historicity of of some of the narratives. Did they actually happen? In this story, the Jordan waters part twice to make way for Elijah first and then for Elisha whenever he comes back. Bears come out of the wood to attack people. The water in Jericho is purified through some sort of strange ritual involving a bowl and salt. And then Elijah is here one minute and gone the next. And nobody can find him. He's taken up by God. This is the world of scripture where God breaks in to the world to do miraculous things where his power is awesome. Through the life of Elijah, we have seen an awesome God at work, one who is in control and who uses those who are willing to submit their ways to him and to his plans. Elijah has been that character. He's been used by God to be the voice of the nation. God has given a very clear word to Elijah which he has faithfully communicated. He was prepared to go to the brook of Cherith, where God fed him in the morning with the ravens, the scavenging birds. Then he was in obedience, going uh, according to the call of God to show grace and compassion to the widow at Zarephath in Sidon, which was, I suppose, enemy territory. And yet he was prepared to go there despite all the people in Israel that had the same experience. He boldly proclaimed God on Mount Carmel, calling down fire. What a step of faith. But yet, he was also discouraged and frightened and didn't want to go on and struggled at Mount Horeb after Mount Carmel. And then he continually confronted Ahab and Ahaziah, the kings. But now's the time for change. For God's people and for Elijah, as Elisha takes up the mantle of being God's prophetic voice. This narrative tells us that just before God was going to take Elijah up into heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah says to Elisha, stay here because God has told me to go further on my journey. He does it three times. To go to Bethel, to go to Jericho, and to go to Jordan. And Elisha says, I'm sorry, I'm not leaving your side. I'm not staying here. And so the sons of the prophets then all point out to Elijah, or to Elisha, well, do you know that Elijah's going to be taken from you? And he says, yeah, I, I know that. But don't talk to me about that. I don't want to hear about that. Because I know what God is doing. I know his plans. 
and I'm following that. Let's take his timing. And so, all sorts of questions arise for me in this narrative. Why does Elijah want Elisha to stay behind? Why does he not want him to come with him? Is Elijah reluctant to hand over the prophetic ministry to his successor? Is he challenging God's plans? We're not actually told what the answer to those questions are. But I like to think about another way, actually. Elisha wants to continue to spend time with Elijah to keep learning from him until such times as God says, it's your turn now, Elisha. He's not going to push Elijah out. He's waiting on God's timing. He won't let others talk about Elijah while he's the one who is still anointed. What we do see is the commitment of Elisha to what God has revealed to him and that he will succeed Elijah as the voice to the nation from God. He's confident that God is orchestrating events and that he will succeed Elijah in God's timing. He doesn't need to push it. And maybe that's what Elijah was trying to get at whenever he was telling Elisha to do certain things, to test that calling, to see what Elisha was really thinking about this. Because he could have stayed behind. He could have forgotten about it. He could have left it. Sometimes things happen to distract us from doing what God has asked us to do. Maybe we receive some discouragement or criticism. Or maybe we've got those doubting voices in our minds. Maybe even cynical voices in our minds. Well, I'm not so sure about that. We can come up with all the problems and allow them to stop us acting. We question ourselves and what we felt God has put in our hearts. But sometimes it's a matter of timing. We do need to seek God's leading. Sometimes though, like Elisha, we need to take a step of faith and commit to it. Through the vacancy, we believe that God has been orchestrating events to bring us to this point today. One of the impressive things for me in Carmoney is the amount of prayer and heart searching that has gone into this to bring us to the point that we're at today where we've taken a step of faith and we're going to install Stuart on Friday night, the one that we believe that God has called to be minister here in Carmoney. What an encouragement. God calls people to do specific work in his kingdom. And that's what we believe we're going to be doing on Friday night. And, And like Paul, and with you, I share that excitement. That's one of the good things for me to realize that you're excited about what's going to happen and that God is going to do something amazing as you look to him in the days ahead. But as 
as the, the narrative goes on, Elijah then asks Elisha a question. What can I do for you? And Elisha's response is that there, he wants a double portion of your spirit on him. He says, I want a double portion of your spirit on me. It's actually revealing the heart of Elisha and what his hopes are as he starts out serving the Lord. But it's strange, again, because Elijah seems to be looking for the problems. He says, you've asked for a difficult thing. Why? Why Why is that difficult? Then Elijah says that his power will only be received if Elisha sees Elijah being taken up to heaven. This means that he will see Elijah going and then he will realize that now is the time for him. His time has come whenever Elijah disappears. He will see and realize that God is at work fulfilling his plan and that his time has come. He needs to see what God is doing to be sensitive to God's plans. That happens. He does see Elijah going. Not really anybody else does, but Elisha does. Why, why was it difficult? Well, because I'm not sure it was difficult because God has already chosen this man as a successor to Elijah. Maybe he wasn't looking for difficulties. Maybe he just realized that the giving of the Holy Spirit wasn't his to do. The giving of the Spirit was actually God's work. And so what we have revealed here is Elisha's desire as he's set apart by God for the task in the nation. I don't necessarily think it's just that he wants double of what Elijah had as if he's copying him. Elisha is asking effectively that he would be recognized as the successor to Elijah, that God would own his ministry and use him in mighty ways. It's not just about a double portion of a spirit. As Stuart is about to start his ministry here in Carmoney, isn't this something that we can pray for him? that God would mark his ministry with the presence of his Holy Spirit. That it won't be about Stuart or anybody else. It will be about the work of God. That God will own his ministry. That God will use his ministry and transform his kingdom work here. I wonder what you're longing for this morning as we come to this new season of ministry and service here in Carmoney. Don't we need to ask for the presence of God's Holy Spirit to characterize all our ministries in whatever sphere of service we're in? That he would own the work that we do, that he would take that work and transform it in ways that we can't, that our ordinary service would just be used in ways that are incredible because God's in it. Because God's doing it. As we move on, we find three incidents which confirm God's authority on Elisha. 
The first one is whenever Elijah is taken up in a whirlwind. Again, these are things that are happening here and you wonder how physically and practically that could be happening. But Elijah has called down fire in chapter 1 and now he's taken up in fire. Elisha sees this happening before his eyes and then he realizes that the time has now come and he needs to step out in faith to bring the word of God to the people of God. Later in the story, the community in Jericho, while realizing that Elisha is Elijah's successor, they struggle to understand what has happened to him. They struggle to believe Elisha's account of what happened, that he was taken up in a whirlwind. This happened because they couldn't see a body. This was a genuine concern for a man who had led them spiritually for years. They couldn't grasp that God, the Eternal One, had taken him to be with him, the one who had control over life and death. And so the sons of the prophets refused to listen to Elisha, who told them, look, don't send out a search party for it. You're not going to find anything. Believe me, I'm telling you, God has taken him up to be with himself. But they couldn't seem to grasp that. They couldn't seem to accept that. And so they send out their work party or search party and they come back with nothing. And they say, okay, Alicia, you you were right. Can't help but see similarities with the empty tomb of Jesus. The absence of a body raises questions as to what happened to him. The clearest conclusion is that Jesus is alive, having overcome death and gone to be with his Father. The difference with Jesus is that he will come back again. He's told us that he's going to come back to gather his own. God's ways are not always our ways. He confounds us with the ways he works. His power and his might are incredible. But the second incident is whenever Elisha takes off his clothes and he tears them in pieces. And I think that's symbolic, a symbolic action showing that Elisha realizes that he can't do this himself. That it's not about him actually. So all the things that characterize him in his clothes, just he takes them off, rips them up. He needs God to be in the middle of this. He needs to have God's strength He needs the God of Elijah to be his God and to work with him in the same way that he did with Elijah. It's a symbolic action showing his dependence on God and coming and laying his life before him because what he does next is that he takes the cook of Elijah realizing that he is actually taking up the call of God and what Elijah had used, he was going to use. But then the third thing that we see is that Elisha takes the cloak of Elijah and strikes the water. It's interesting that Elijah doesn't hand over the cloak to Elisha, which you would have thought maybe, here's this younger guy going to be taking up this ministry, I'll, I'll hand the cloak over to you. No, it just falls off on the ground. And so Elisha actually has to pick it up. 
He has to do that physically if he's going to take on the role that God has given him. And whenever he picks it up, he puts it on, and then like Elijah, he touches the water with it because he's on the other side of the Jordan and he's wanting to go back to where he came from. As he touches the water with a cloak, he asks a question. He says, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? As he touches the water. And the answer comes immediately. As the waters part and he's able to walk across. Because the answer to the question, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He is right here. He is with you. The God who was with Elijah, who was powerful and in all sorts of incidents that we've looked through, is now beside Elisha. God is not tied to particular people or particular times in history. God is still at work right here and now through those whom he has called to serve him here even in Carmony. Maybe that's your question this morning. Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? This passage is telling us he is right here. And that's our encouragement. That's our hope. This is the confidence of all who seek to serve him, who are responding to a call they believe they've received from God. Whether it's to be minister of this church, whether it's to serve in the session or committee, whether it's to be an office bearer, whether it's to be a part of the, the staff team, in whatever le- level or way that is, or whether it's to be involved in organizations, or whether it's to be a, a member of the congregation, whatever way it is, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He's right here. He's, able, he's still able to transform lives, to do amazing things. He still works by the power of his Holy Spirit, and he is not limited by us or any period of time. At the end of the chapter, there are two incidents that are recorded which are kind of strange but but are helpful in terms of teaching us about God and how this awesome God works. And, And really, I suppose, encouraging us that it is not just about us, but it's about us being faithful to this awesome God. And they show the reality that actually the answer to the question, God is with Elisha. And we see it in those last two incidents. In Jericho, while things were in the city were, were pleasant, they seemed to be all right, there was something nasty in the water supply. And the idea here is of fatalities, come and come to say, fatalities in uh, people and in livestock. And that's why the, the, some translations have miscarriages, etc. And so as this water supply is, is not uh, having an impact on the city of Jericho, Elisha asks for a new bowl and some salt in it. And then he goes and he's to the spring and he throws that salt in. And then God says that he has healed the water from this day forward. Whoa, that's amazing. God does amazing things sometimes, doesn't he? 
even through something that seemed to be just like a little ritual and God heals the whole water supply for the city. But the background to this is that in Joshua chapter 6 and verse 26, we're told that Jericho was under a curse. But here we see God at work in his grace to reaching out to a city under his curse. We talked about the water being transformed to to now give life and not bring death. Again, reminding us of Jesus in John 4 and 14, whenever Jesus refers to himself as the water of life. This is what Jesus does for those who maybe even feel that God is against them. As I was reading through some of this, uh, some of the commentators mentioned things like, for those who have maybe felt that they've made bad decisions or perhaps even though they've confessed those still feel no sense of God's favour. This story shows that God's grace comes to all of us. Perhaps for those who have allowed themselves to go down a path that they regret and maybe there's even thoughts wondering how God could ever love me again. This story of the water at Jericho is for you. Those who perhaps have become angry with God or bitter towards him, and if you, wonder, you wonder if you can ever experience the love and the warmth of God again, this story is for you. God took Elisha and through that bowl, new bowl of salt transformed the water So he brought life to the people of Jericho. This story is about God's grace for all of us as we consider our lives. But the second story in Bethel, which was looked at as the the center of apostasy in the nation, a group of young people disrespect Elisha. These young people have probably been influenced by their parents and the community um, because I think commentators will say that this was a place for bull worship under Jeroboam um, and so they have no respect for God and that's coming out in these young people. They see an old man coming towards them and they make a snap judgment about him. They focus on calling him, uh, as Paul read, baldy, perhaps because of a bald head. Um, What he's effectively saying to them, what they're saying to him is, make yourself scarce. We don't want you here. You're not welcome. We want you out. And I suppose that was also a comment about their relationship with God. They didn't want Elisha, and they didn't want God either. And so they were rejecting both. It's a deliberate, malicious, and direct attack. There's no sense that they have that God was with Elisha and that he had called him. And so God's word of judgment is pronounced by Elisha and two bears come out of the the woods or wherever they came from and tear 42 of them apart. Here we have illustrated for us the judgment of God and those who scorn 
his prophets who reject his word, who reject Jesus Christ in faith. And in so doing, they are scorning God himself. There is a danger we need to be aware of that we can turn away from God's word. And even, for example, as we think about Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, and I always struggle with these verses. It says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. I suppose even in the midst of that word of, of warning to God's people, God is saying, look, there's opportunity. You can still turn. You can still work this out. But I'm confident uh, of you and Carmoney. I know your hunger for God's word. I know your desire for God's appointed person here in Carmoney. And also, I don't know of any, any bears in, in Carmoney Hill either. So, uh, but we just can be aware of, of how God is at work. Here in Elisha, we see two incidents. One where blessing is brought and one where judgment is brought. And God is in the center of it all as Elisha is open to him. Let's be aware of God's word to bring healing power and also judgment. Let's look to him in the days ahead. As I said earlier, we look forward with anticipation and excitement as to what God is going to do in Carmoney. Building on the already good work, building on the kingdom work that has been done in previous years and previous ministries, I'm looking forward to see what God is going to do through Stuart and through you in the days ahead, whether it be here in Carmoney or even in Central, just to rejoice that God is at work. Because that, that would be my experience here in, in Carmoney. You have seen God at work, even in the last, in the time that I've been here as convener. And I rejoice in that. I see lives changed, people encouraged, people drawing close to God and seeking to encourage others to do the same. It's been really encouraging to be with you for that. 